Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl, I'm back with Matt, Cameron, and Tim, probably. Uh, <laughs> Tim probably Cox, I don't know. Anyway, um, we're talking about today, uh, probability. And this is going to have some overlap with the, our old statistics podcast. So if you haven't listened to that one, uh, go back and do that and then come here and we'll uh, fill in some some holes and talk a little bit about uh, some other probabilistic events that we didn't really discuss uh, there. That was a little bit more about um, distributions and other statistical terms that were more uh, specialized for that. But th today we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the layman's interaction with probability and what we kind of think on a day-to-day -day level versus what... Uh, probability theory and um, actually says about uh, what what events and uh, how probability interacts with uh, with our day-to-day -day life. So let's start uh, uh, with a coin flip. We're all very familiar with flipping coins. Um, and Tim, what is the probability the, uh, of a heads? I would say, well, I guess what you could say, I guess the odds would be is it one out of two? Would the probability be 0.5? Is that how it's measured? Uh, I, yeah, I was just going to give a percent. I'd, okay, 50%. A layman podcast, Tim. Come on. Presuming you're not cheating. <laughs> not a weighted or a two-headed, two-faced, um, whatever. Yes, 50%. Um, now, uh, Cameron, have you ever flipped a, a coin a bunch of times and do the outcomes always, um, do you always end up with even amounts of heads and tails? No. Wait, is that a no, you've never done it? Or no, you don't end up with the same number? I generally don't end up with the same number. But that is because when I flip a coin, I can generally make it be the, the side that I want it to be. There are some tricks that you can pull on it. But assuming you're not pulling any tricks and not doing anything untoward, uh, <laughs> Yes, you're you're uh, you're not going to end up with the same number, um, and that has a little more to do with uh, distributions and stuff like that, and and just uh, sample size. But um, but Matt, what is the what is the probability on any given flip? Um, uh, why does it always stay fifty percent? So assuming that your coin is perfectly balanced and weighted, and no coin is, but let's just pretend. Uh, the, you'll, you'll always have a 50% chance that you'll get a heads and a 50% chance that you'll get a tails. And the reason is that any throw of the coin or flip of the coin is the result of that coin flip is completely independent of any actions that you've previously taken, any previous coin flips. Just because I, I threw uh, heads on my last attempt, that has no bearing on whether or not I throw heads or tails on the next attempt. There is no physical connection between what was done and what will be done next. Um, and that's because my potential sample size of coin flips is infinite. I can flip that stupid coin as many times as I want. Um, and the, uh, I have two possibilities. Each one of them is equally probable, heads or tails, 50%, 50%. Therefore, uh, what you will see is over time, you get about half of them heads, half of them tails, but the throw 
the result for one for any given trial totally independent of what came immediately before. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's important. And so there's a term, actually, so the idea that, that that's not the case, the idea that, you know, you can get on a run. It's, it's the gambler's fallacy. Uh, or I guess also known as the Monte Carlo fallacy, the idea that uh, if you've observed that a particular coin is more likely to give you heads, then you can start betting heads, essentially. Uh, and, that, and that's going to, uh, but these are independent, like Matt said, independent throws, independent, and we can establish that the probability does not depend on past events. It is independent of past events. And so that's, this is the idea of future probability um, being in uh, independent uh of any previous results, so that's uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to some extent. Uh, I'm, we all kind of get this, uh, you know, feeling in life that oh, I'm due. You know, I, I'm it's my turn. Um, to, you know, luck, my luck's going to turn. Uh, but all future events are, are probably uh, probabilistic according to you know their actual inputs, not uh, not past events. So, yeah. um, well, and it's there, there's a key thing that I think you're going to talk about in a minute. Future events where there is an infinite possibility of outcomes are totally independent. Uh, if you're dealing with a limited supply, right, then that changes. But we'll talk about that, I'm assuming, in a minute. Yes, we'll do one other thing and then we'll get on to that. So the other, uh, the other, once again, this is uh, just an example of one of something I know that we all interact with kind of on a day to day. Either you can think of this either as a, a lightning strike or as a uh, uh, car accident. Um, uh, the idea that uh, you know I haven't ever been in an accident, therefore I will not ever be in an accident, or I've never been struck by lightning, or I won't be, so I won't be struck by lightning. It's once again, it's the same idea, um, but. Um, once again, just that fallacy of uh, these events are are dependent on my on my past, not on the actual uh, conditions that contribute to the probability of uh, of that future event. So the the probability of you being struck by lightning is actually independent of what has happened to you in the past. is far more dependent on you know your location and whether or not you're outside or th those types of things. Just because you've never been struck by lightning mean, doesn't mean you will never be struck by lightning. Or just because you've never been in a car accident doesn't mean you won't be in a car accident. Now, those things, there are there are conditions on those things, right? Like there are better drivers. For example, the uh, probability that Tim gets a car accident significantly higher than the chance that I get in a car accident, right? Only if I'm driving someone else's car. <laughs> I think you've wrecked your car as well, haven't you? Well, I think you probably owned it at the time. <laughs> uh, yes, Tim, I think has wrecked most people's cars, uh, especially on this podcast. So, yeah, but but that does not mean that if we were all to get in a car and we chose Tim to drive, that we would be more likely to have an accident, right? Um, <laughs> well, that's, here, so that's, here we jump into uh, statistics and causality factors, right, and that's exactly. a little bit different. But. Right. So that yes, exactly. So uh, essentially, the idea though is, if I've ridden with Tim for a while uh, and everything's gone well, the probability of me getting in the car to, with Tim next time and uh, everything going fine is an independent variable of of, the, of that historical uh, the historical facts. It's more uh, input of you know what uh, what kind of quality of Tim, driver is Tim, and what roads are we driving on? Those types of uh, things that actually condition the, the future event as opposed to uh, these events that I'm drawing on in the past. So, 
Um, yeah, so, so that's this kind of- time to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Allstate with Accident and Forgiveness. That's right. <laughs> like a good neighbor, Allstate is there. Right. You just lost us that sponsorship. Well, um, maybe State Farm. I don't know. I think we can actually like <laughs> sing jingles in our podcast. Uh, I think we. I don't know. That's uh, fair use, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I, technically, I didn't use either company's jingle. Or. <laughs> okay. Well, if we um, if we need representation, well, we've got a lawyer that's already been on our podcast, so we're good. Um, that would be a fun podcast, Carl. Like the legal system from the inside. We actually did a podcast about copyright. Do you remember that, Tim? I do. But have we done a podcast about prison conditions? <laughs> I hope you uh, this entire section. <laughs> you would like that, wouldn't you? I would. Um, okay, let's move on to what Matt was talking about just as, uh, a minute ago as far as – so there's, there's um, the, the future probability where you know, prob- probable uh, – Events are not not dependent on on past on, on historical events, uh, uh, and then there's uh, probability as as determined by um, when you're selecting uh, what I call selection probability. So there's future probability and selection probability. Selection probability is uh, if I'm selecting um, from a uh, you know a gumball machine uh, and I want pink. Uh, you know, there. If I don't get pink, and I see pink in the gumball machine, I know my probability of getting pink the next time has now actually gone up, right? And so that's uh, that's additional information that is an update in the system uh, that no longer does is the system the same, and so the probability now changes. Um, and that's how the uh, you know selection from a finite number of um, options uh, is different than future probability. Tim, you had something you wanted to share? Well, it's kind of um, talking about the two of these things. The, uh, I think sometimes our minds bleed our thinking about selection probability over into, what did you call the first one? Independent. I call the one, yeah, you can call it independent probability or fu- I just future probability, right? Future probability. Okay. So so sometimes we, we tend to, to look at a future probability instance like a coin flip or say the gender of a baby and um, think of it in terms of selection probability right so for example i have a sister who has uh five girls and so when when they were expecting their their fifth you know a, a lot of times thinking as you've mentioned before oh they're due up for a um they're due up for a boy you know what i mean what are the odds of of it um, but of course, the the selection is completely independent. Um, this plays out sometimes in how we view randomization. Um, one of my favorite stories about probability is a story about a professor teaching about randomization who gives an entire classroom and tells everyone, OK, pull out a coin and I want all of you to flip um, the coin 100 times and record your your outcomes on a, on a poster in order. And then she tells one person, you're not going to flip a coin. You're just going to, from your own mind, try to do a random assortment of heads and tails. And then she leaves the room for uh, long enough for them to complete the task. And then she comes back into the room and she says, OK, and the person who didn't do the coin toss was this one. 
and she's able to identify it every time. And the trick to, to finding it is you look for the one that has the least number of long stretches of the same outcome in a row. Um, because our, our human minds, we tend to think, oh, well, a random coin flip, that means that it's going to, you know, we're going to say, okay, a head's here, a tail's here, and it's going to go back and forth a lot. If we see a lot of heads in a row, um, we tend to think, oh, well, that's, that's not random. But it actually is in in a 50-50 random um, you know series. Uh, it's actually not uncommon to have a long string of the same outcome. So, for example, my sister who has five daughters, that's uh, that's people think you know. Well, is that really up to chance, or you know, it can't be. You know, what's what are the odds of five in a row? But um, actually in among many people that's that's not going to be uncommon and uh, but we we tend to not think of that as random and so when we when we have a playlist and we put it on shuffle and you know the the song that we just heard gets played again you know three songs later we get mad we say hey what's going on but um if it's truly random then that's an utterly possible um result because the outcome is not dependent on the on the previous songs or whether it was played just three songs ago. I imagine that shuffling, you know, randomization software probably takes that human expectation into account. And when we put our playlist on shuffle, we're not actually getting a true random sampling of songs. Right. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but yeah, there's uh, the idea that we'll talk a little bit more about random events and uh, what's, what's actually random versus kind of pseudo-random versus deterministic. So those are all things we're going to discuss in just a minute. But yeah, the, it is certainly kind of in, intuitive and for the you know, kids and, and uh, I guess most just people in general have the, this default of, of uh, believing that it's more of a, a, a selection probability in, in life, right? Not that there are future events uh, are, like we've already discussed, independent, everything seems like it's probably a selection probability. So uh, that's kind of often how we live our lives, even though that's counter to reality. So um, Matt or Cameron, anything to add? Um, we could just all have really small playlists. And um, <laughs> genetics, you know, plays a big uh, component in what child will have. That's true. So I guess that's the other part of, of considering this is it, 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 go back and listen to our calculus podcast, um, because honestly, what which conditions influence the outcome of an event are uh, important to consider, because, yeah, it, it actually does matter. If you want to predict the probability of um, of having a boy or a girl, it turns out that you look at the um, siblings of the father and the, the the father's siblings uh have more predictive power uh when it comes to predicting their children's uh gender than mother or mother's siblings um and so that uh that according at least what from what i've read so the, yeah these conditions are are interesting and, and that often throws off our i think our thinking as far as like these are largely uh probabilistic events uh, meaning they they are they're 
not conditioned on what we think they're conditioned on. They're not, it's not I'm due, it's a, these are the actual conditions and now you know, roll the dice, let's see, and the, the outcome will be what it is uh, determined by that, uh, the actual inputs, not by historical um, uh, events. Okay, so you're Matt, saying the fact that sorry? I five sisters and no brothers ha may ha actually be a factor in in the fact that I have all daughters. Yes, uh, scientifically speaking, that is what I uh, what I, I glean from the what I've read. So. Wow. Yep. And your father had a lot of sisters too. That's uh, true. Yep. So. so. That's uh, the predictive power of, of actual variables that do influence these probabilistic events. Um, and it turns out in life, most things are probabilistic events. Language, for example, I study linguistics. Most people think that's a very rules-governed thing. I, I know how to put my sentence together because I have rules in my head. And to some degree, that's true. But actually, as it turns out, a lot of those are an analogy. Um, and analogy is, as, is governed by probability. And um, so it turns out language is largely probabilistic. Um, and so that's, anyway, we can talk about that more later. But Matt, anything um, else to update about? Most languages, bibliotech is library. Okay. Uh, Matt, anything to add about uh, probability? This selection of probability, I guess? Uh, no, I think you covered it. Okay, so let's talk uh, about another, um, let's say counterintuitive uh, probability a problem um who's seen the movie 21 anyone 21 times uh so cameron's seen it tim matt i don't remember do you guys tell me that you've seen it not seen it right no. uh no i haven't seen that one i i know for a fact that matt has seen it but he probably just doesn't remember. watch it together yeah I watch, watch it together it Okay. Anyway, yeah. it's a movie about gambling. All right. Uh, it's got Spacey in it. Right. Yep. So we don't yeah. speak his name. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So it's a movie about gambling, and he and uh, at one point at the beginning at the beginning of the movie uh, they introduce what's a, a pretty common uh, a well known. Uh, example of, of some of the confusion that comes from um, probability, and this is called the Monty Hall problem. Um, and so this is a, a probability puzzle, uh, and, and it's very, very, very counterintuitive. Um, and this is, so let's say you're in a game show, and you're given three doors, and behind one of these doors, there's a prize. And so you are pick, you know, pick one at random. So you pick number one. And so now uh, the game show host says, okay, uh, I'm going to show you what's behind door number three. And he opens up door number three, and it's an old sock. So it's it's not the prize or whatever. And he says, okay. And now that you know what's behind uh, door number three, you've got doors number one and two left, your original selection, door number one. Would you like to change your selection? Um, at this point, most of us think, well, I'll stick with one. You know, that was my original pick. And so... Why, why is it? Why would it not be any uh, be any better than than the other one? So we stick with the original and uh, we lose because what it turns out, and this is so counterintuitive that this was uh, mind-boggling, and and people even uh, uh, well-educated people uh, disagreed vocally and even in print. Um, 
he said that the assum- the assumption is that the the probability moved uh, distributes evenly across the two doors that are left. When in reality, the probability adds to the door that you did not pick. Uh, and so now, if you pick the other door, if you move your selection from one to two, your probability of winning is now jumped to 66%. Not 50, like you would think, as you would think your first door was also 50. It's actually your first door, the one that you selected, you're now sitting on a 33% chance, whereas if you switch, you're now at a 66% chance. Um, and it turns out that is the case. And uh, it, it blows my mind still. Yeah, I've read the whole Wikipedia page. And it is, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it I says explaining why. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I because I've been I was actually reading about that before the I looked up like fun facts about probability, which is a terrible thing to search. But <laughs> that came up, and I was like, how on earth? What's going on? Um, here, here's um, and Carl, you can tell me. Um, if this works or if this is a reasoning, when you chose door number one, you had a 33% chance of selecting the prize. Um, however, the host now is presented with a probability where he's got two, he's got two doors remaining. One has the prize and one does not. So he has a 50-50 shot of eliminating the prize from those. So and so when he eliminates one, um, the one that's left has a 50-50 chance of being the one with the prize. So you either stick with door number one that you picked, which has a 30%, 33% chance of being right, or you switch to the other door, which has a 50% chance of being right. Is that, uh, is that the reason why the math works out that way? It's, uh, here's the paragraph, I think, that explains um, why that's not – that's a that's a good way of explaining it. I don't think it's quite right. It says most people come to the that conclusion. That would make it switching. a bad way of explaining it. <laughs> most people come to the conclusion the switching does not matter because there are two unopened doors and one car, or the prize, and that it's a 50 50 chance. This would be true if the host opens a door randomly, but that is not the case. The door open depends on the player's initial choice. So the assumption of independence does not hold. Uh, before the mm. opus, a host opens a door, there's a one third probability. Uh, after the core, uh, the door is open, the probability um, uh, goes, uh, well, it's okay, let me read this care- carefully. If the door behind car one, the host can open uh, either door two or three, so the probability the car behind is behind door one and the car opens door three is one-sixth. If the door, door, car is behind door two, the host must open door three, so the probability, probability the car... Uh, the probability the car is behind door two and the host opens door three is one third. These are the only cases where the host opens door three if the player has picked door one and the host opens door three, the car is twice as likely behind door two. Hmm. Does that make sense? And that's the closest I got to understanding it. And that's it, it's essentially very close to what you said, Tim. Uh, I think the probabilities are slightly off, but that yes, that that's a good way to understand it is, yeah, it... Your pick and his opening of the door are both updating probabilities, but they're updating not evenly because he is picking which door to open based on your selection. So, yeah. 
and, and so, so yeah so when you're presented with a 50 50 switch after he has revealed the door it's no longer the, the yeah that we we tend to think of it oh as these two doors have the same probability but the probability has changed even though the doors haven't right huh. yeah it's really like i said very counterintuitive um and worth spending the time to understand because i think it like helps you bend your mind around something that uh that uh is useful so um like i said i've, I've spent some time trying to figure it out and i think at this point i can have i i understand it better for sure so um Okay, let's do, talk. So we've talked a little bit about gambling fallacy and and this idea that we're due, um, and the, and we kind of debunked those. Um, now, how about how about a hot hand in sports? Um, Matt, any idea about whether or not a hot hand in sports is a fallacy or, or whether or not that's uh, a reality? Well, when you say hot hand, I assume you're meaning. Uh... So that would be like basketball shooting, but you imagine anything. Like uh, if I'm if I'm hitting. Uh, the baseball, if I'm on fire, uh, you know, if I've hit, you know, five out of the last 10 times I was up at bat, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be good for the next few at bats. Right. Yeah, that would definitely be a fallacy because, well, intuitively, I'm sure it is, but I'll leave it to you to explain why, because honestly, I don't know. I'm going to say it, there's, there's a little bit of both. It can be fallacious, um, f- applied fallaciously, but due to sports psychology, it's not always unfounded um, because the person with the hot hand believes they have a hot hand and that can right. affect performance. Exactly. So I've read articles that say essentially, yeah, it, it's not, not a real thing. But then I've read articles that control for other variables um, and that say, look, it actually is a real thing. Um, and that is and they explain it essentially that, that way. The, the idea that, um, sure, the probability of me making a shot in basketball isn't actually dependent on my previous shots. However, the, the, the probability of me making a shot in basketball is dependent on my state of mind, you know, my focus level those types of things. And so if all of a sudden I, in one night, my focus level is significantly higher or my, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, I, I ate a really good dinner or something, you know, my, my, my nervous system, I, I put in something that was very calming and therefore my hands are not, are far more sure and steady than they are normally. Um, you know, the, actually, so you do, you need to update that system. It, the system inputs have actually changed, and so while you would think it is a closed, uh, it's a selection probability, or it is a sorry, a future probability, and therefore independent of past events, it turns out that the model has updated, and therefore you have to do an update to the model. And so there is, there is some, and I don't remember what the percentage was, but there there is there you, uh, it is the case that there is some degree of hot hand. Um, reality in 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 sports uh, specifically the idea that um if i'm on i'm on um and while that you know isn't uh it, it's it's related to the gambler's fallacy uh but is con- it is more uh, there it's a more complex system than the gambler's fallacy the gambler's fallacy there is no update to the system therefore 
the probability actually never changes and it's just me perceiving that there's a change that that causes that fallacy where in the the hot hand uh, in sports I am part of the system therefore me perceiving that there is uh, this uh, change in the system actually is a change in the system um, and it's the idea of yeah the, the confidence and uh, um, and uh, obviously other other potential um, inputs uh, so but what I'm hearing is that if you're playing sports, all you have to do is believe in yourself. You've seen all those Disney movies, right? Wow. <laughs> Who knew they were actually... Okay, never mind. <laughs> That's right. Feel the rhythm. <laughs> uh. Now, th- this can be... I think it can be over-applied and, and applied fallaciously. There's no um, question. Yes. As the, like if you've seen the movie Moneyball, um, I think that's a great example of the statistics in sports and how so so it, the premise for those of you who haven't seen Moneyball it's about the Oakland A's and I think the 1980s and um the basically it came in baseball is just soaked with tradition and so you had all of these kind of methods of scouting and selecting um you know which which um you know statistics were given the most value and which weren't. And basically these uh, clever people with statistical know-how came in and said, actually, if we look at, you know, carefully and uh, with uh, discretion using statistical, you know, things, and and, I mean, actual indicators. Yeah. Well, they, they identified the, the, the indicators that matter. Exactly. And, and they didn't always line up with the traditional indicators. And as, as a result, they were able to really maximize their bang for their buck and, and build a very successful team um, uh, bucking the trend. Now, and I mean, baseball has always been a statistically oriented sport, but now it's, it's absolutely insane how, um, how much data there is, especially in the highest levels of baseball. Um, you know, so for example, they'll keep, keep track of this batter's, um, you know, probability of getting a hit against, um, this handed pitcher kind of pitcher with runners on this base and that base and, and all sorts of things. It's, it's, um, pretty, (laughs) pretty heavy duty. So, right. That one, uh, won the Oscar for best statistics in, uh, 1980, whatever it was when it was released. That's right. A very coveted award. <laughs> uh, At least in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> Don't ruin Matt's beautiful lie. <laughs> and uh, the movie was based in the 90s because they oh, took the person from the Oakland A's and that's how the Sox won the, the pennant. Oh. No, that's right. And statistics didn't exist in the 1980s, so that makes sense. <laughs> if you look at music videos from the 1980s, that would I would totally believe that. <laughs> a lot of things didn't exist. My goodness. Oh my. Okay. Well, we've really gone Karen, in a direction I wasn't expected to, expecting us to go here. So. Odds were slim. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to one other topic I wanted to touch on here before we wrap up. Okay, so and this is random. The uh random events, random variables. Um and I think uh we get there's some confusion and I, I know that I you know we I think conceptually understand what random means, but when when we try to define it I think sometimes it gets a little complicated. But um 
a random event essentially is just an un, unpredictable event, right? Um, versus a deterministic event or uh, so, for example, if I go to weigh myself right now and I stand on the scale and it says whatever it's going to say, let's say uh, 100 and who cares, uh, 100 pounds. Let's say I'm an incredibly small person. Uh, I stand on the scale that says I'm 100 pounds. I get off and now I'm going to stand on the scale again. Is that a, is a random event? Is the next number going to say, you know, 1500? No. Uh, that's a deterministic event. My weight is what I'm measuring, right? Um, however, uh, a random event is like what we've already discussed here. So uh, flipping a flipping a coin, rolling dice, um, and so that is something that is unpredictable, uh, not based on that past event. I can predict my weight based on my me weighing myself one minute ago. Uh, I cannot predict my dice roll based on a dice roll I did one minute ago. So that's the idea of, of a random event. Uh, and that does not mean, however, that random events cannot be you know, assigned probability. And that's what we do. That's that's how we, um, uh, I guess, control uh, our, our reality out there, because it turns out there are a lot of random events that we interact with on a day to day basis. Um, and so we, we we assign probability to particular uh, events and we are constantly updating that because uh, these random events give us more information. But uh, let's take the example. Of, uh, so this, I found this online. So it says um, you can kind of predict, uh, this is a, uh, you're trying to get the probability of any random event. So for example, if there's 76% of Americans support universal healthcare, what is the probability that a randomly selected group of three people will all be in favor of universal healthcare? Uh, so in that case, you've got um, 76%, so 0.76. And so if you're trying to figure out what the probability is that any three people from uh, are all in agreement here, you said repeat. Uh, so you just multiply that probability by itself that number of times, so three times. So you time 0.76 times 0.76 times 0.76. That that is the probability of the random event of finding three people on the street. Uh, picking them all out and saying, well, do you agree with this stance? The chance that they're all going to agree if the, if, if the underlying uh, probability is 76% is um, 0.4, essentially 44% probability that I'm going to pick four, three random people out of you know, the population and they will all agree on this, uh, this point. Um, and so once again, it's just the idea that Probability in that case is you multiply these together to get the uh, uh, the probability of that of that random event. Um, but uh, random events uh, go across the board as far as um, you know. Once again, uh, outside of dice rolls and things like that, we we already talked about like language, um, what word I'm going to say next. Um, and and so some of these can are are systems we're far more familiar with being able to predict uh, probability for, and some are significantly less. Uh, but these random events are uh, uh, it's uh, good to know the, how to calculate probability over these events. And let's let's take for example um, the, the idea once again the, this deterministic idea um, a computer. So and it helps us kind of also differentiate random versus deterministic. So inside of a computer, you have right just deterministic stuff. Uh, these are all 
bits and and uh, they all everything in there can be measured at any point and 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 you know it and it exists in that state um and so any input will just you, you can measure that and and therefore it still exists in the state that you know you've measured. So it, it would seem to be a deterministic system. However, computers can essentially observe what is a non-deterministic system or a probabilistic or random event outside and use it to generate random numbers. So if you were wondering whether or not computers can do random numbers, and we discussed earlier, Tim was talking about random uh, you know, shuffling of a, of a playlist, for example. Um, and often uh, computers will use kind of pseudo-random if they don't want to have to, because um, it's easier uh, to kind of pseudo-random, where you're essentially just using a complicated little algorithm to, to spit out a number. Um, however, if they just observe uh, a mouse movement, well, guess what? That's random, right? Me move which way direction I'm going to move my mouse is random. Um, and so if it then uh, uses that as an input in, in a algorithm, it can then say, oh, uh, here's a random number. Or if it uh, observes, it can use a clock actually in, in, in certain ways to um, uh, also generate a random number. So um, there are there are ways that essentially you can get a random number from a, a, what would seem to be a deterministic system. Um, however, you know there are. Um, let's take once again another example: humans. Um, Matt, would you imagine that humans are uh, deterministic or or random? Well, it. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'd say it's a strange question. It is probably. At, at some level, I think there are deterministic qualities of our behavior is how I would phrase it. Yeah, I, I think I, that's I true. firmly yes. believe you can choose any number of things. Uh, subconsciously in particular, though, I think you'll find a bunch of things that could be deterministically predicted for any given person. Right. Right. Yeah. So, for example, yes, and I, I think that's true. I, we humans can do, can can decide, and so in that way, it seems like it's very deterministic. Now, probability that does not mean that we cannot assign probabilities to what humans do, and, and like we would a random event. But as the human ourselves, we have some uh, deterministic value over our our own system. However, uh, for example, let's uh, let's say um, generating a random number. If I ask Cameron or Tim here to generate a random number of a particular length, let's say I want you to generate an eight-digit random number, and I want you to do it you know, 20 times, um, they would do it, and they would do it successfully in their minds. They would you know, be able to come up with a, an eight-digit number 20 times. Uh, however, it turns out that um, those numbers that they would generate would be... Uh, predictable to some extent. Um, it, it's not entirely random. It wouldn't follow the uh, distribution you'd imagine from a truly random event. It would actually, there would be some bias involved. And that's entirely subconscious bias. It's not like they are thinking, uh, let me pick one more. It's it's my favorite number. Um, it's uh, subconscious, but humans have a particular way that we generate numbers. And once again, not something that we can observe inside of ourselves, but as we uh, generate these random numbers, uh, it turns out that uh, computer models can predict, oh, actually, this is not a, a random system. They're using this uh, underlying bias, this underlying generation system that, uh, that has these pre more predictable results. Um, 
And so that's uh, an example of how we can be uh, unknowingly somewhat deterministic. Um, and uh, so these things, yeah, are sometimes beyond, lie beyond our uh, our conscious mind's ability to observe. And uh, I've, you know, I've read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, oh, what's that? The um, Link. Does anyone? There's a book. It's about a the dog. Not not the dog walked. Does anyone know the book I'm talking about here? Uh, the tipping point blink blank it's blank okay that's the one yep okay thank you um <laughs> you ben blink talks about how you know often our underlying uh systems essentially inside of our mind uh, have uh, have this ability to predict events and and uh, that we have no idea that we could predict because we are constantly updating models we have predict uh, predictive power inside of ourselves that we're not even aware of because of all these inputs that we can use and and uh, so we're a very complex system so what Matt's answer was originally as far as some deterministic some um, is entirely true but you know it's it's hard for ourselves to be able to introspect to that level often and be able to figure out what uh, what you know our probabilities are in particular areas um, but uh, and well, some degree of human activity probably does follow a random model. Uh, you know, that's uh, not generally the case. If I could opine on randomness and our perception of it and problems that we sometimes run into, um, I think sometimes we can get into trouble when we presume or or assume randomness when it's actually not. And I'll give two examples. Um, so if I'm doing a study or conducting a survey or something, I'll, I'll do my best to, you know, capture whatever, uh, you know, percentage of the population and, and try to make it random. Um, but it's actually really hard to get a truly random sampling of, uh, you know, of a of a population. Um, so so sometimes when we see polls come out or studies or surveys and they'll give results uh, some sometimes some results will be more accurate than others you, you see this a lot around election times and and people wondering oh that came out of nowhere how did we not see that well it's it's really hard for pollsters to actually get a truly random sampling that really illustrates you know what's going on in the world um, sometimes this can play the other way too uh, for example, I, Carl, I think you gave a statistic about, you know, uh, such and such number of people support, you know, universal health care or whatever. Um, sometimes we can give our own experience a heavier weight. Um, so, for example, I might hear that stat and say, well, that's not true because nine out of 10 people that I know hate the idea. Or maybe maybe I go the other way and I say, that's not true, you know. I, I hardly know anyone who doesn't like that idea, um, but I'm not. We sometimes don't, in our experience, recognize that um, what what we observe is not a truly random uh, situation. So, for example, my I'm filtering my experience through my tastes in the friends that I choose, through the region that I live in, through um, my occupation, um, my you know, ethnicity, uh, my faith, and all of these things can affect my um, my lived experience. And so sometimes I, I see this uh, in the um, in our national discourse, 
where people will just not believe, um, you know, things that are shared in the community, you know, statistics and that kind of thing, because they don't jive with what they observe one way or the other. Um, and, and we make the fallacy of presuming that our, our vision or our, our lived experience is, you know, maybe a more uh, balanced or valid representation of reality than the statistic. And, um, and, and anyways, I'm not saying we should believe all statistics that are put out there or all studies are equal, but, um, I think, uh, you know, those who, who make the studies and those who, who read them, we all have to recognize that true randomness is hard to achieve and our, our lived experience can, can, uh, taint our, our perception of randomness. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of goes back to this all. I think we were revisiting some of the stuff that we talked about in the statistics podcast, but um, that's okay because that was a good podcast too. This um, we're talking about um, uh, essentially just yeah the the complexity of of systems, and it turns out as you throw in more and more and more variables. uh, You know, yes, it's very difficult to predict. things and that once again goes back to our calculus um podcast as well but if you can get a small enough system then then this probability theory becomes very important to understand but yes as you broad broaden things out to you know yes politics and and family and human events and then all of a sudden you're adding in all of these variables that are impossible to control for and therefore this probability theory of of being able to say okay what's the probability that the the prize is behind door one is so so foreign to the, these other events that it doesn't even seem like it uh, is the same um, the same system the same uh, you know algorithms can be used to predict both of them so um, but it is useful to know them and to understand that by controlling a system very well um, you can start applying these rules better more uniformly and uh, understanding you know just the the these fallacies the idea of the gambler's fallacy or um, and the the additive probability versus um, future probability, which is independent of, of you know, of history. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good point. So as you go day to day, you know, your prob- your, your models of, uh, of, of reality and the probability you assign things um, can be very messy. And so, you know, keep those, keep an open mind, but once, understand these, these, principles of probability so that you understand how these systems work and what the rules are in these control systems uh, in order to better understand how how probability and and statistics work in general. And in all things, when in doubt, just check with learn it from a layman. That's right. I did want to thank our listener base. We are growing and we have all 50 states that are listening to us. Um, And uh, let's see, the UK, Australia, Canada, India, all um, showing up in uh, large numbers. So appreciate our listeners around the world, though. Uh, spread the word. Um, we are going to be doing lots of uh, uh, our history podcasts are um, not particularly well received. I, I'll blame Tim. I think that's Tim's fault. Um, right. That Tim? is my actual obligation. So, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the no, science no, podcast advertise that one of our genres is underperforming 
(laughs) Well, our listeners, uh, those are good podcasts. I'm just saying that the people haven't found them yet. So if you want more of our content, go listen to our history podcast. Uh, What can I see what you're doing? Sorry about that. Um, What was the camera? Were you saying something? No. Oh, I think it might have been me. I was just saying you were appealing to everyone's, you know, root for the underdog impulse. <laughs> we we'd like to do we'd like to finish up that series, but right now our our listener base is moving us far more in the area of more physics um, and so and, and calculus and math and statistics and uh, so we'll be uh, we'll be trying to do uh, you know some some combination and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what uh, what the next podcast brings. Probably it will be a good one. Uh, so until then. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again.